So when we look at this, this is the overall overwhelming belief in our culture. This is the belief on my street as I talk to people and neighbors that I meet. That sure, yes, everyone has bad moments or makes bad decisions. Or there might even be some people, there might even be the bad people of the world. You know, the Hitlers and the uh, North Korea guy and all those like bad guys, right? This is how we talk about with my kids. There's the good guys and then there's the bad guys. This is how my, my daughter understands everything when she's watching a movie. She'll ask me, Dad, who's the bad guy? And who's the good guy? And this is how we, even as adults, if we're not careful, if we don't have a biblical understanding, tend to think of people in terms of good and bad. Sure, there might be the bad people, but really most of us inherently are good. But our passage this morning asks a different question and interrupts that train of thought to ask this. Do you grasp the depth of your depravity? Do you grasp the depth of your depravity? You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And from his creation, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden, there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God put Adam and Eve in there, and he commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good or evil, because when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And once God had commanded that, when the woman saw, though, that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate and and had it. And the Lord God said, now that man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. You see, we always talk about one tree, but really in the narrative, there are two trees. There's the tree of life. And this tree was meant to be totally for our pleasure. God did not command us not to eat from this tree. This is the tree that was a source of life, the source of wholeness, the source of completeness, total satisfaction. And God said, you may eat of any tree, including and especially this one. But then there's that other tree. And God said, you must not eat from that tree because this tree is the source of awareness. And awareness is not something God ever intended for us. My five-year-old, or excuse me, my two-year-old son is blissfully unaware. Blissfully unaware. He has no concept of money. He has no concept of responsibility. He has no concept of having to prove himself or any standards he has to meet. His favorite game is Naked Boy. (laughs) Just, 
no shame, no understanding of any standards he has to meet in the world. He is blissfully unaware. All he knows is that he's loved and he's cared for and he has no further concerns. If we were having financial trouble and we uh, were having trouble paying our mortgage, we would never go to our five-year-old daughter and say, hey, Mia, sit down. Um, Mommy and daddy aren't doing too well financially and we're having some struggles here and if something doesn't change, we might need to move out of our house. We would never tell her that. We would never burden her with that. We would want her to be blissfully unaware. You see, your Father in heaven wanted you to be blissfully unaware, to just know that you are loved and you are cared for and have no further concern. And yet we wanted more. We wanted more. He said, I'll give you one, but you don't need both. And trust me, you want the one I'm giving you. You don't want the other. You can't have both. And we said, I want both. And we were convinced that God was holding something back from us. And so when we took it and when we ate, we became aware. And the Lord God said, I can't allow you now to eat of the tree of life in your current state. In fact, the scripture said, they are now like us, knowing the difference between good and evil, being aware whatsoever. We cannot allow this. And so they banish the tree of life. It's gone. And they send us east, carrying our sin behind us. And we are separated. God gave us what we wanted. And it was not what we wanted. It's what we thought we wanted. Do you grasp the depth of your depravity? See, often we believe that the curses only separate us in one direction, which is upward. Our our upward relationship with God is severed. And God is trying to restore and put that relation back together. That's absolutely true. And that's the foundational curse of this entire thing. But there is this collateral damage our, our passage speaks of that goes way bigger than we tend to want to give it credit for. Way bigger than we recognize. And our passage goes to great lengths to describe three different curses, three different ways in which this separation has fundamentally changed us, fundamentally broken us. With God being the center, that separation from God then reverberates. The shrapnel hits us in so many other ways. Let's look at the three curses this morning. If you've got your uh, fill-in, here's your first fill-in for the curse. The first thing we see is a curse of ourselves. A curse of ourselves. It says this, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where 
are you? He answered. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Have you ever had a dream where you were on stage or in public somewhere and you were only in your underwear? Has anyone ever had that dream? I played basketball in high school, and almost every night after a game, I had this dream that I'd forgotten my uniform, and I was on the court in front of all the people, and I don't know why I would have, like, not noticed until that very moment, but that's what happens in a dream, right? You just kind of appear in the dream, and all of a sudden, I have no uniform on, and I remember, like, being like, you know, like, ah, you know, like that, you know, like when you're coming out of a dream and you're sort of half awake and half asleep, I remember sort of waking up to that dream and still like under the covers being like, like, how do you play bat? I don't know. I'm not going to be that image. We desperately want to avoid being exposed. We desperately want to avoid being exposed. There's something deep in us that doesn't want people to see what's really inside because we know deep down inside that it's not pretty. See, we're cursed inside ourselves. What's interesting is in the last verse of chapter 2, it reads, Adam and Eve, this is before their awareness, before the tree, And it says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. And only one chapter later, it reads, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. There's something profound when that switch happens. Going from I'm totally exposed, I'm totally open, there's nothing to hide. I feel no shame to I'm totally open and exposed, and I'm afraid, so I hide. I hid from you, God. The separation from God means a separation from ourselves. The tree of life provided what the Hebrews call shalom. This is where we get the word peace, but this word is much bigger than just an absence of conflict. It means in the positive wholeness, completeness, total satisfaction, And when that leaves, when that goes, when the tree of life is banished, it leaves a void. And that void is filled with fear and anxiety, judgment, disorders, anger, pride, loneliness, weakness. Friends, what? Are you hiding? What are you hiding? What would terrify you if someone found out that? We find Adam and Eve, they're hiding even from God himself. What have you buried so deep that you don't even want to face it with God? What are you hiding? It's the curse of ourselves. Then in verse 11, we see another one. This is the curse of man. The curse of man. And it says this. He said, "Who God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I have commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put me here with, 
She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. You see, we see a couple things that happen when there's this separation, not just in ourselves, but a separation from each other, how we relate to each other, how we connect with one another. We see several different things here. We see blaming that happens. Get a load of the man here talking to God. He said, did you eat of the fruit? And he says, the woman you put here. I love, well, look at the gall on him. The woman you put here. So not only is it the woman's fault, it's your fault for putting her here. Really, God, if we were going to mix words a little bit, this is kind of on you and definitely on her. We blame, we shift guilt, we try to push things away and we put it on somebody else. There's this separation that happens between each other when sin happens. My brother is here in the audience today. You'll know him because he looks just like me but slightly less good looking. And (laughs) when we were kids, one of our famous stories as kids, now I haven't seen... There's only been a few times, my my brother's a pretty uh, laid-back kind of guy, but there's only a few times in our childhood where I've seen my brother righteously angry. Righteously angry. And it was, uh, he probably even knows the story I'm going to tell. It was, we were going to basketball practice. It was an evening practice, and so we'd come home, and I was old enough to drive, and so we were going to get in the car, we were going to head to basketball practice. Now, I got in the car first. I was in the driver's seat waiting for him to come out. I was kind of annoyed. He was taking a little longer. So when he finally came out, when he reached for the door, I kind of reversed, you know, like three feet so he'd missed the door. And he like rolled his eyes and walked the three feet to get in again. I did it again. I reversed again. He rolled his eyes and he kept going. Now I was having such a good time. I didn't realize that I wasn't going back straight. I was going back at an angle. And one of the last times he went to try to open the door, I reversed it and ran right into our basketball hoop. Bang. Now thankfully there was nothing wrong with the car, but the hoop was done. And I had this fear, this panic. I had been screwing around. I had been kind of, and I didn't know what to do. And my brain, in my sinful, depraved state, my brain began to think of, how can I blame this on Brent? And so he jumped in the car. He's like, Brian, what are you going to do? And I said, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, if you hadn't been so distracting, If you hadn't like tried to, if you just waited, I was trying to like get the car in a good place. And if you weren't being so distracting, I would have, I would have, wouldn't have hit this thing. You were totally distracting me. It's like, what are you talking about? He was so, he's like, you can't blame this on me. I was like, and we had, again, I have never seen my brother so righteously angry in his whole life. But this is what we do when we're in a corner. Who can I blame? Who can I push this on? There's this break, there's this separation, there's this enmity between us and each other, between you and between me that sin does. We see another one of this in verse 16, and this is ruling. We blame, but we also have a tendency to want to rule one another. And verse 16 says this, He's saying this to Eve. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, Milo last week talked about submission and what the beautiful uh, look it is when a man respects and loves his wife. That's not what I believe the context here is. 
The word rule in the Hebrew is the word mashal. Now, the root consonant, every Hebrew word has three consonants that it's built from. And the three consonants this word is built from, at its core, at its base, means to be like or to be equal. And so what mashal does is it takes these three base consonants and it uses it in order to say the opposite. Not to be like, not to be equal, or if you want to smooth out the translation, to rule over. One Hebrew dictionary says this, it's the act of having control or dominance over. Negatively, it refers to the abuse of power and control. Proverbs 28, 15 actually uses this word in this context. It says this, like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked mashal, a wicked ruler, a wicked person who lords over a helpless people. Next week, we are going to be recognizing uh, Freedom Sunday. Uh, One of our partners, International Justice Mission, uh, puts on this Sunday to raise awareness for just what's going on in the country when it comes to slavery, sex trafficking, child abduction, and the like. We are going to hear stories of just how bad, just how depraved our relationships can get. And it's easy to look at the extreme examples of injustice and to think those are those bad people over there, kind of like what I do with my daughter. Those are the bad people over there and they do all the really bad stuff, but not, I'm not doing any of those things. I'm deep down, and even if we wouldn't say it overtly, there is this subtle belief that I'd never do anything that bad. And what this passage wants to remind you that you put in a different context a different place around the world, a different upbringing, and were exposed to, you would be the slave driver too. You would do it too. See, the curse of man does not escape any of us. There is no such thing as bad people and good people. It's only bad people. And the curse of man comes out in us, even if we're not doing those things, it comes out in us just as much. Gossip, slander, power plays, deceitfulness, prejudice, taking sides, looking down on. Who are you blaming? And who are you ruling? Who are you blaming? And who are you ruling? So we have the curse of ourselves We have the curse of man. And finally, we have the curse of creation. The curse of creation. And to Adam, starting in verse 17, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. You see, the very ground we stand on is cursed. In Romans it talks about how creation is groaning for the day, when restoration will happen. We see this in all sorts of different ways. Interesting, in verse 18, we find that God actually produces new organisms that were not part of the original design. 
He said, I'm going to produce thorns and thistles now. This is after he created, sin has happened, and in response, he's like, okay, because of the ground, these new organisms, these, this new life is going to come from the ground that's going to make things harder for you. And so we have viruses and weeds and thorns and cats, all sorts of things <laughs> that are the to total enemy of God. No. But we also have earthquakes and hurricanes. This week we reached out to some of our partners in Texas and in Mexico who have seen firsthand the devastation there and the devastation, the curse of creation can be. And while they are okay and we're thankful for that, they have been seen and experiencing and ask us to pray for those around them that have endured great loss and great pain. Speaking of pain, that's another one. Humanity, the crown of creation, has infected itself. We experience pain in verse 316. Women will experience pain in childbirth. I have seen this firsthand twice. I do not envy it. It looks terrible. We experience pain. We experience sickness. We experience death. That's actually the very first curse that's pronounced. If you do this, you will die. You see, friends, we were never intended to die. We were never intended to be separated from one another. There is no such thing as a natural death. I don't care what age you are. There is no such thing as a natural death. Every death is offensive. Every death is a reminder of what we have done. It was not the way it's supposed to be. Every death is unnatural. So whether it's pain or sickness or death or an earthquake or a hurricane, where are you experiencing the curse of creation? Do you grasp the depth of your depravity. Because we must grasp the depth of our depravity in order to grasp the goodness of the gospel. We must grasp the depth of our depravity if we can begin so that we can begin to grasp the goodness of the gospel. And in the middle of it all, the middle of our passage, we find it for the first time. Verse 13, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And here it is. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, verse 15 is what we call the proto-evangelium. Proto meaning first. It's kind of like where we get the word um, uh, a prototype, kind of like a first thing. And then evangelium, the good news. This is the first time in scriptures we see the good news. We see the gospel pronounced. This is the first time we see how God is going to fix this mess. God, God declares that there will be hostility, enmity between humanity and the serpent, the enemy the champion of the fall. From now on, we will struggle with these curses 
and the one who convinced us we wanted them. The enemy will strike our heel. The enemy will bruise our heel. But in the end, God will crush his head. In the end, God will crush his head. God promises that in the end, he will win. Through the offspring of David, our champion will come and Jesus will crush the serpent's head. He, notice in the passage, he, the offspring of the woman, someone down the line will come and he will crush his head. Jesus will crush the serpent's head. He will make all things new. He will put all things back together again. And we see this narrative play out. We see this theme weaved into the entire rest of the Bible. Let me show you just one here quickly. In 1 Samuel 17, well-known story, David and Goliath. It reads this, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out to the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 6,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was swung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron-pointed weight was 600 shekels. Now, why would the author want to give us all of that seemingly monotonous detail? Why do we care what his armor looked like or how heavy things weighed? Look for a second. His height was six cubits and a span. The weight of his armor, 6,000 shekels. Now, your pew Bible or other versions may read 5,000, and other versions are going to read 6,000. And this is, uh, has to do with early manuscripts and having to make a decision because there's a few variants there. And so uh, uh, translators have to make that uh, decision. I prefer 6,000, and you'll see here in a second. So it reads 6,000. And the weight of his spearhead, 600 shekels. Six, six, six. And just in case we didn't miss who this Goliath is, he adds this little detail in verse 5. Goliath wore a coat of scale armor. And what happens to Goliath in the end? In verse 49, it reads, Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, David slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Now in Revelation 14, this is the position, face down, that everyone does when anyone gives glory and honor to God. At the end, Revelation, at the end, the last book of the Bible, whenever glory and honor is given to God, people fall face down. Goliath, head is crushed, and in one way or another, he bows before David, the bloodline of Jesus. Whew. He will win. He will win. And the gospel is proclaimed right in the middle of this chapter as a reminder that we too are to stand in the middle of the curses of this world and proclaim a better story, to proclaim that in the end, death 
and sin and curse will not win. It does not have the final word. And so we too stand in the middle of the curses of this world and proclaim this story. The curse of ourselves tempt us to fear and hide, but the church must be a place where we stop pretending to have it all together. Just as you saw here, our care quarters, our group life are meant to be places where people can find their place, can belong, can start being themselves and begin to explore their new identity in Christ. The curse of man reveals the depths of what we can do to each other. But partnering with organizations like International Justice Mission allow us to tangibly declare the good news that we were once slaves and now are set free. The curse of creation wipes out cities, but our disaster relief trips are visual reminders of in the middle of our wreckage, God will put us back together. Which brings me back to the story of Robert. He'll show, this, show the picture again. Now, I know Robert's story well because he was my grandfather. And on Christmas Day, 2007, our family entered into a small hospital room to say goodbye to him for the last time. A sick, dying, fragile shell of a man, cursed by sin. And he'd be the first one to tell you that. He'd be the first one to tell you that. And the overwhelming thought I had as we spent time with him, the overwhelming thought I had as we said goodbye was this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. Cancer is not the way it's supposed to be. Your eating disorder is not the way it's supposed to be. Injustice is not the way it's supposed to be. Racism and prejudice is not the way it's supposed to be. Your anxiety is not the way it's supposed to be. Hurricanes are not the way it's supposed to be. But when we grasp the depth of our depravity, we can then begin to grasp the goodness of the gospel. Because the gospel says that while your heel is bruised, Jesus will crush the head. Death has bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush the head. Cancer has bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush the head. Eating disorders have bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush our head, their head. Injustice has bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush the head. Racism and prejudice has bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush the head. Anxiety has bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush the head. Hurricanes have bruised our heel, but Jesus will crush the head. The long story short is that from here in Genesis 3 until the end of Revelation 22 is the story of Jesus bringing us back together. And we read this in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Revelation 22, we read this. 
Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down in the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding this fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. You see, friends, the great narrative and the great story is that we get the tree back. We get the tree back. That's the good news. And so what we do now is we live between the trees. We live between the trees and we learn to trust, to fix our eyes on the life while we still are aware and getting pulled from the back. This is our struggle. This is our fight. This is our reality. But we will win. We get the tree back. As I've been living between the trees, there's things that you experience goodness, tastes of heaven, whether it be a good vacation or a good small group where you just feel like you're being real or just worship as you're singing. One for me that I'm experiencing right now as I live between the trees is leading worship at Celebrate Recovery. I have the privilege of being able to do that once a month. And at first it was like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll I'll do that. And over the course of this year, it actually is becoming something I greatly look forward to because I get to worship with a group of people that grasp the depth of their depravity and recognize that they need a savior. And man, is that worship sweet. Because when you grasp the depths of your depravity, you can begin to grasp the goodness of the gospel. And they get it. Oh man, do they get it. And it's so beautiful to join them. Friends, we live between the trees. Our heel is bruised. But Jesus will crush the head. I'm going to invite the band up as we close. For you, where are you hiding? Where are you blaming? Where are you ruling? Where has the curse of creation affected you, either you or someone you love? May we grasp the depth of our depravity. May we look at the man in the hospital bed and say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. So that we can grasp the goodness of the gospel. So as we live between the trees, friends, may you sing like you need a savior. May you grasp the depth of your depravity. And may you know that while your heel is bruised, Jesus will crush the head. Let's pray. Lord, as we come totally broken, broken in ways that, God, we don't even get, we don't even understand the depths of how far and how aware we've become. 
Maybe just for a minute, just sit and recognize that. God, we need a savior. And you proclaim he will come, the offspring of the woman, someone down the line, to crush the head. God, wherever we're limping in life, wherever our heel is bruised, may we fixate on the tree of life. Lord, we get it back. Thank you that we get to get it back. So Lord, as we live between the trees, as we limp onward towards the tree, and whatever our limp is, God, remind us, show us, reveal us, give us taste of the fruit of your tree here and now. As Jesus said, I have come to give you life and give you to the full. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's here, it's come. So Lord, wherever we're limping, help us to keep moving forward to the tree. We're getting closer every day, God. And we rest in your love and your comfort. Lord, give us no other care but that. Thank you for the goodness of the gospel. We love you, God. And may we now sing like we need a Savior.